Welcome to Side Talks. <laughs> it's a podcast about cinema. The part of Rachel will be played by Corey today. <laughs> oh my gosh, welcome to the podcast. I was trying to throw everybody off their rhythm just right out of the gate. What do we talk about? We talk about movies. This is the official podcast for the Sidewalk Films Film <laughs> Center and Cinema. I, I tried to say Film Center and Cinema and Film Festival at the same time. You can't do that. It's I, not it possible. It turns out you cannot. Uh, but, but it's the same organization. Um, uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. We're, this is not the the outro, but thank you for still listening and not turning it off after I just sang into the microphone. Oh, that got really weird. This is where we talk about all things cinema. Cinema. <laughs> Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute round one fight. fight. It's time for a five-minute fight. What are we fighting about today? We're fighting about a film called The Shit Gatsby. That's not what it's called. What is it actually called? Say it's. I don't know. Title. It's called The Shit Gatsby. It's not. It's it, Boz Lerman's The Great Gatsby from 2015, a 3D extravaganza that goes super over the top. Start the and timer. Retains the spirit of F. Scott Fitzgerald's wonderful novel. Why don't you like this movie? And and. If it's because of DiCaprio, you're on the record already mm, about mm, DiCaprio. Mm. It what doesn't else? matter. What okay. else? I'm actually just going to read my notes. The first one is, it's too damn much. The mm. second one is, um, anytime there's two members of the Pussy Posse, self-named, I did not give them that name. I know about Anytime the there's posse. two members of the Pussy Posse, they should never be allowed to act simultaneously on the screen because vom. Uh, Lucas Haas is in like 8 million DiCaprio movies, by the way. <laughs> Okay, well, I just, I, this is two most disgusting, smug little bitch members of the Pussy Posse, okay. and I dislike it, and I don't think they should be on the screen at the same time, and also Boz Lerman is pulling out his bag of tricks. It's a tired-ass bag of tricks Disagree strong. It's like everything. It's like everything. No, it's great. like, okay, Boz Lerman is basically playing the part of Carrot Top on this film. It's what? like it's like I, the same old shit. Everybody laughed the first time I took out this thing out of a, 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 a bag and it was a prop and everybody laughed. So I'm just for the rest of my fucking career gonna just bring out props onto stage and lift weights. He's carrot top in this. I'm telling you. He's a, it's terrible. And the, okay, here's the other thing. And this is where I'm gonna win this argument. Okay. The Jay-Z moment. That's great. What a, I like it. Oh, it's I like so, it. it's, I can't even look at the screen. Like- it's so embarrassing. All of, oh, it's just so embarrassing. I like the conceit of that using little, modern pop music mm, in a 20 setting. That group full of white men should just have stepped away from the Jay-Z song. Jay-Z produced the soundtrack, didn't it, he? I don't give a shit. I don't care what Jay-Z did. The point is it's a white man explosion on the screen uh, and it's gross. Mm. And that scene is so embarrassing. Counterpoint. It's, no, it's not. Counterpoint <laughs> again. It's a really good movie. Uh, it's visually really, really spectacular. Have it on 4K Blu-ray. Would be happy to demo it Oh, for you win then. Yeah, it's because it, it's great looking. Um, the hey, performances you know what Toby are Maguire really is? No, no, no. Um, well, kind of. He's not the strongest part of the movie, but the performances other than him are all really great, Boring. especially Carrie Mulligan, Boring. my beloved Carrie Mulligan, and Elizabeth Debicki, who Boring. kind of, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. She's wonderful in the movie. I think um, DiCaprio is really good. The visuals are, I mean, clearly the strongest part of the movie because Boz Lerman is an excellent visual stylist, and I am oh, not yeah. bored. Oh, you know where I yet. get bored? When we actually see the character writing the movie. We got we have like voiceover and typewriter. I mean, Pick one or the like, other, that's, boss. That's the that's the no. 
pick Not one or the other Fitzgerald, of us. You can't have two members device. of the I mean, Pussy whatever. Posse and typewriting and voiceover. You keep bringing these extra extra textuals into it. I mean, I don't... Is sure, it? let them be is in it? their little posse. No, they're smug and, and they're awful. I hate now, them. Sure, hate them, but like... <laughs> They didn't do anything on screen to merit the hate. They're not like no, you're right, you're standing right. on the set of the Great Gatsby. They've just sexually harassing all of Los Angeles. But other than that, fucking Well, but just... they're not doing it from the set of the well, Great Gatsby. Like, well, they kind of are. Well, yeah. Okay. Do you really think nobody was sexually harassed on that set? Well, it was shot in Australia, <laughs> so it wasn't in Los Angeles. Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know. know. It was shot in Bob Lerman's like imagination. Yeah, I mean, sure, it was. Like, it, it's a great looking movie with a lot of energy. It's a really smart adaptation of the book. It's it? Is yeah. it a smart adaptation it's of the book? It's a smart adaptation we of the book. We didn't need this film. It's better than the Redford Mia Farrow one. Oh, Mia Farrow is really bad in that oh, movie. Oh, okay. Okay. What, do you disagree with that? No, I'm Am not I, necessarily. I can just I say, like, to, you know, hey, I, you know, water is wet, and you'd be like, is it? I, uh, yes. Like, just, you're just in that, like, five-minute fight five mindset. I don't know that Mia Farrow is any worse than anybody else in this film. Leo um, is just once again playing himself. Again, my beloved Carrie Mulligan, oh my however, God. Uh, clearly the MVP. Oh, I, I don't think so. I'm just landing at this. The film is vomitous. It's embarrassing. It's a bunch of just, it feels like a circle jerk. We didn't need this film. Do you like Boz Lerman? Actually, up until this point, I do. This is where this is Boz where you get off. jumps the shark. No. Because no, it's no, the no, same no. old bag no. of tricks. And the bag of tricks is tired. And it's pulling out every fucking thing out of that bag, too. The Why repetition. Why would you not want to see Boz Lerman do like a big swing in 20s da- movie? Because it feels, okay, so when we watched Romeo and Juliet yeah. the other night. Which was great. I watched, and I couldn't watch the whole thing. I watched the first 10 minutes of it. I was like, like, I just am remembering how innovative this felt when it came out. Now, uh-huh. I don't know. I can't go back and not have seen it. So I don't know what it feels like to be in a theater and see that first 10 minutes of I that do, film. Because having I never seen it. thought I had seen it yeah. and then realized very quickly that I had not. Well, it's impressive. It holds up. I, I mean, to me, even, you know, like revisiting it, I'm like, it does hold up. This, The Great Gatsby doesn't. It feels so dated. Mm. It feels so weighted down. And the same old bullshit that he had done before that doesn't feel fresh and new, but feels recycled and maybe just piled on top of the I'll editing. I'll say something bad. controversial. I think it's the best oh, use of his time. I, I really do. I think it works better in that than in Moulin Rouge. Oh, or man. In, um, I'm about to turn this table over, Sam. What else has he made? Okay, Sam. I'm going to say Rachel gets a handful of points for just starting out with the shit Gatsby very confidently. Um, But that's probably all the points. Um, And she also said the phrase white man explosion on screen and it's gross, which is probably the grossest phrase. My headphones fell off. (laughs) It made your headphones fall off, Sam. I mean, it is a gross phrase. Okay, so Rachel said the phrase white man explosion on screen and it's gross and that (laughs) phrase itself is just so gross. Um, Rachel hates when actors or directors sort of do the same thing each time. Uh, For example, Tom Hanks, DiCaprio, Spielberg, Chalamet, etc., etc. But I think she has a point this time in that Baz Luhrmann just did that weird mashup of source material with... A new genre like he did with Romeo and Juliet. And do we need it? Is it necessary? Absolutely not. But is it entertaining and fresh? Yes, for sure. So this one also goes to Corey. I'm so sick of it. <laughs> this is getting old. This is just like Boz Lorman's repetition. <laughs> old chap. Old chap. Old, old chap. Sport. He says old, tra- old sport. Same fucking If you're going to come at the movie, come <laughs> correct at least. Old sport. Old sport. Thank old you. chap. That's old all sport. I ask for. Old carrot top. Fuck that. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. 
So, Corey, what have you been watching? So I did a double feature the other day of cool. two movies definitely made for children, and I am an adult, but Babies. I watch them anyway. Uh, one of them I can recommend very much, and the other, you know, kind of qualified if you're a stunted man-child like me. Uh, the first that I can recommend very much is now available on Netflix. It is the new film from Ardman Animation Studios, a Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon. It is the sequel to the Shaun the Sheep movie that came out a couple of years ago. The continued adventures of the lovable stop-motion animated Shaun the Sheep. He's a scoundrel, but he's got a good heart, and he's always up to mischief. Can you wake me up when you're done? Yes, I will. Um, so Shaun the Sheep, in this new adventure, um, makes a friend who is an alien from another planet. This alien crashes her spaceship near Shaun's farm, and Shaun and his lovable gang of uh, sheep friends have to find a way to get this alien back to – she's literally asleep, y'all. She is nodding off. Well, they have to get the alien back to her ship before the government uh, tracks this alien down. And it's Propaganda. filled with um, a lot of wonderful, whimsical Ardman animation touches. Um, and it's it's just a really funny movie told almost entirely in pantomime because Sean, being a sheep, does not speak. Okay. Uh, the second movie. Frozen 2. No. Worse. Let it go. Is that the song from Frozen 2? That's two? the song Let from Frozen <laughs> Um, Into the Unknown is the song from Frozen 2, and that is where we shall endeavor to go now, Into the Unknown, because I'm here to talk to you about a video game movie that I didn't think was completely terrible. Uh-oh. That is the movie Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, yeah. I saw you post about yeah. this, and you said, I'm I'm at Sonic the Hedgehog, and I went and I clicked where the smiley face is, and I went over to the sad face, the crying face, and I clicked it. I don't know why, because <laughs> the, the look on my face during most of Sonic the Hedgehog was the laughing emoji, because uh, <laughs> Sonic, Sonic uh, the Hedgehog is, um, you know, you go in and your expectations are basement level, because it's a video game movie, it's and it's- fucking Sonic uh, the fucking Hedgehog. <laughs> Yes, it's that, but you know what? It wasn't that bad. That's really all I have to Is say that about the full it. Quote? It Sonic really the wasn't Hedgehog, that bad. It wasn't that bad. It's got some good jokes. <laughs> it's got um, you know, Jim Carrey doing more oh, like nineties style capering. Yeah. Like he's essentially playing the Riddler again. <laughs> um and you know what? Like that that I thought that would be irritating. It wasn't. It made me laugh mm. more than it didn't than it didn't. Um, and, and one thing that we're overlooking here that I think is very important to remember is that Sonic the Hedgehog runs very fast. Okay. That's it. That's all. <laughs> yes. He run fast. Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic. Qualified he, recommendation. He run fast. He run fast. He is, oh, man. Um, you know, he runs very fast, uh, but and he's got a little bit of an attitude, but when it comes down to it, you know. He takes care of his friends. That's Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, you seem pretty jolly about these two films that my guess is took up five hours or so of your life. And yes, I am did. wanting the four minutes back that you just spent talking about them. The so Shaun I don't the know Sheep what the hell is, is going it's on. It's good. Like genuinely. So watch watch that. Okay. All right. Well, like here's Sheep. what I've been watching. Um, and it's the same thing you've been watching, actually. I very recently watched the Twin Peaks pilot episode. Hell yes. And really enjoyed it. It's been um, probably a decade since I've since I've revisited it. Uh, and I, I want you to know, Youngblood, that I watched this when it came out uh, and was broadcast across televisions across America during a very different era and time. 
and uh, what a strange, strange beast this is. And I kind of wanted to mention it uh, because there's other stuff I've watched too. But I wanted to mention it because it is so strange because I had forgotten how much it leans into melodrama, which I, you know, you've heard me talk about before and I love very much. But I also just wanted to share with you that I clearly just kind of got taken back in time um, watching it with other folks because I think the last time I watched it, you know, a decade or so ago, as I mentioned, it was probably alone. It yeah. was probably, you know, sort of passive, more passively. And so watching it with everybody in a in a sort of very casual setting, but but still attending to it, I it, I was remembering that this, when it came out and was broadcast, and I believe I watched it like with my mom, right? So I was, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I was fairly young living at home. And it was so strange. I, I was a Lynch fan, of course, of mm-hmm. course, at that time. But I... It felt like things were changing in the world because this thing was on television. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And that's that that is kind of hard to remember all the time because television has gotten so auteurist for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. But and accessible in a way that you can demand things and they come to you. Right. But this was like television was a different it was a different world and you were presented things. Yeah. And those things you were presented, you were, you know, you were told this is you know, this is the thing that happens at this hour and these are your four choices, not your one thousand choices. If you're watching television, of course. And people were watching. And it was so – it's so strange that that was on network television. Yeah. Oh, and it yeah. was recognized as strange at the time. And it felt like revolutionary, I think, is is what I'm getting at. I mean, that's what he did right after Blue Velvet. Right. Somebody at a network in right. 1989 was like, get us the Blue Velvet guy to make a television series that really – has a lot in common with Blue Velvet. Absolutely. And it, I mean, it's still bananas. It is crazy. It is a crazy, it's so strange. And I think people, a lot of times people still don't even, even what knowing who Lynch is or having some idea of who Lynch is, I think some people sometimes still don't know what to do with it because it's just that weird. Yeah. But it's also so, I've also, of course, seen many other things between then and now, including episodic that happens currently, which I don't attend to much, but I've seen bits and pieces of, and there's just so much like Riverdale doesn't exist without this, right? No. It no. does. It just the fe- X-Files I, doesn't none exist of without it. this. So anyway, that's what I'm watching. And I have to, you know, talk about it for too long, but I just wanted to acknowledge what a weird world it is that that was on network television and that it holds up as still being so darn strange. Yeah. It, it and wonderful. It's the best. And now fast film terms. Guess what it's time for. It's time for fast film terms. Fast film terms. I'm going to slow it down just a little bit and ask you a, a not a fast film term, okay. but a fast term. Okay. I just learned this the other day. Uh oh. What's a what's OOTD? Uh, don't know. Outfit of the day. Get your shit together. Outfit of the day. I wear the same <laughs> clothes every single day. You've never seen me in just, anything Corey, other than what I'm wearing. Hashtag now. outfit of the day. This hashtag is, OOTD. It's a plaid shirt. Outfit of the decade, more I like. needed. I needed you to know that. Okay. So now that that's out of the way, because I've read Quiz Fest this week, what is a honey wagon? I genuinely have no idea. Oh, it's like a porta potty toilet. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I don't know what your OOTD is when you're in the honey wagon, but now you know what both of those things are. Bye. <laughs> what? So, what's the shit? What is it, indeed? <laughs> 
I'm at the gym. I'm working out. I am on the tread. And the screen is in front of me. And there is a film on. And I'm going to tell it to you. And you're going to try to guess what it is. Okay. There are kids running through the woods. I know it. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, Hunger Games, Hunger Games. It's not Hunger Games. There are kids running through the woods. Okay. There's a, they, one of them creates a really, really terrible CGI storm, like mm. crazy CGI storm. And then there's vicious stabbing. And then um, What's-His-Dick comes running up with the Freddy Krueger claws. Oh, so this is an X-Men movie. I guess so. Well, is What's-His-Dick Hugh Jackman? Is <laughs> yes, that who you're talking yes, about? Yes, you're talking yes. about Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine. <laughs> yes. Okay. And there's kids and they start CGI firestorms that are cause trees to explode and poke into people. And then he's running and slashing and uh-huh. he's got Freddy Claus. How does he look? Is he uh, aged and weathered in this No, film? he's not. He looks handsome and, and very fit. Yes, but by Hugh Jackman com- like <laughs> standards, does he I don't he know. Look- uh, does Hugh- this is the question. Does Hugh Jackman age? Well, I mean, if this is the movie that I think it is, it's <laughs> about how the um, titular uh, character, Logan – also known as Wolverine, has been going through a rough time of it. What would the adamantium poisoning that's coursing oh, through his veins? Weird. Uh, he looked he, fine to me. He didn't look like he had any kind of poisoning at all. He seemed to be slashing and dicing pretty well, this, quickly. This, if, if this is the movie that I think it is, um, this is Wolverine's uh, last outing. <laughs> it's, it's a final stand for the beloved X-Men character uh, as he tends to a young mutant girl uh, who is on the run from some really shady government types led by Richard E. Grant. This so. sounds about right. I also wonder if we should start a new segment of the podcast called What's His Dick? <laughs> <laughs> Where it's, we just gonna be, it's just going to be Ewan McGregor every week. <laughs> That's not true. Ewan McGregor, Harvey Keitel. Like. Who's that other ham face that I hate? Um, the one in Taken. Yeah, but he's never exposed his... That's What's His Dick too. <laughs> well, okay. I was just thinking of anyway. like famous exposed penises of cinema. <laughs> is that the n- famous exposed penises of cinema? Is I the guess name that's of the, the title of this episode. Oh, let's get done with this before we get in any more trouble. Uh, whatever. Bye. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders the third to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today I'd like to talk about being John Malkovich. One of the most fascinatingly strange and unpredictable films of 1999. It all began when the Fox network canceled Chris Elliott's sitcom Get a Life in 1994, which left writer Charlie Kaufman unemployed yet again. Kaufman, who had been laboring in the comedy salt mines for 15 years with moderate success, says, My idea was that I would write a script and use it to get work. I had this idea about someone having an affair with a co-worker and another about finding a portal into someone's head, and neither was going anywhere. So I decided to combine them. It got a really positive response. People would read it, tell me how funny it was, invite me for meetings, and then tell me nobody would ever make my movie. After two years of floating around Hollywood, the script ended up in the hands of Francis Ford Coppola, who passed it on to his son-in-law at the time, Spike Jones. Known for his innovative work in music videos, Jones thought the script would be perfect for his film directorial debut. The task was to get John Malkovich on board. Shortly after he had first completed the script, Kaufman had met with Malkovich's representatives, where he learned, much to his surprise, that John Malkovich lived in a New York apartment numbered Seven and a Half, and Chicago's Steppenwolf Theater, where Malkovich is a founding member, had an elevator that landed on a half floor. Coincidences? Malkovich's team didn't think so. 
The meeting had been set up to see if Kaufman was a stalker. Later, when Malkovich read the script himself, which doesn't depict him in a very favorable light and calls him an overrated stick of shit, he wondered if he had somehow wronged Kaufman in the past, although the two had never met. However, he loved it and told Spike Jones he would produce it under the condition that it would star Tom Cruise. It was an offer that Kaufman adamantly refused. It wouldn't have worked, in my mind, with anyone else, he said, and part of the reason I picked Malkovich is because of how funny the name sounds when you repeat it. Eventually, with urging from Coppola, Malkovich agreed to star but not produce, saying that would have been too much of an ego trip. Fortunately, the movie's offbeat nature attracted single-cell pictures, led by R.E.M.'s Michael Stipe, who stepped up as producer. Stipe noted that he had recently driven to a 30-film multiplex to see a movie, but didn't go in since they were all showing nothing but the usual dreck like another baseball movie with Kevin Costner, and the American public needed an alternative. John Cusack joined the project after he asked his agent to present him with the craziest, most unproducible script you can find. Impressed with the part of Craig, he asked for an audition, which won him the role. For the part of Malkovich's actor friend, Malkovich himself suggested Charlie Sheen, even though the two hardly knew each other. Spike Jones loved the idea. Sheen was in rehab when he heard about the filmmaker's eagerness to cast him in his first movie. He accepted the role without reading the script. For Malkovich, one of his most memorable scenes is being hit on the head with a half-full beer can while he is standing on the side of a road. Spike Jones wanted to cut it since production was running late and didn't think anyone would be able to hit Malkovich's head in the dark from a passing car, until about 80 sets of hands shot up from the crew saying that they would like to try. Eventually, the task was awarded to Cusack's business partner who nailed it on the first attempt. When the movie premiered, and for every project he had done since, it was described as a Charlie Kaufman film. Even though it was directed by Spike Jones, this was virtually unprecedented for a screenwriter to be recognized this way. Even Robert Town, whose script for Chinatown is frequently cited among the best ever written, wasn't credited over its director, Roman Polanski. In 2017, Catherine Keener, who had played Maxine, was in the movie Get Out, prompting fan theories that it was a sequel to Being John Malkovich with Allison Williams playing the grown-up Emily, Malkovich's daughter. Notable parallels include the theme of one person's consciousness taking over another person's physical form and being trapped as a passive spectator inside of a body. Get Out director Jordan Peele denies it and says the sequel is a beloved theory. And lastly, in case you're wondering, in a movie that is 113 minutes long, John Malkovich's name is said 130 times. What's that? I'm so scared. Is that thunder? It sounds like so. thunder. You know what happens with thunder? Lightning. This is the lightning round, the filmmaker lightning round, that is, on Side Talks, this podcast that you've been listening to now for 20 minutes or whatever. Uh, this is Corey. Hi, I'm Corey. Uh, and we're going to talk today about uh, the filmmaker Sofia Coppola. The lightning has brought Sofia Coppola to us. Well, and that's, so- that's a very beneficial lightning strike. I agree. I agree. So what's the first question we always ask? Uh, so a, a film by Sofia Coppola that you love. The one that is absolutely, this is not going to surprise you. No, the it's not. closest to my heart, the, the beautiful, experiential, poetic, lovely sea of a film, uh, Virgin Suicides. Yeah. 
Uh, is that her best movie? It might be yeah. her best movie. I think it's her best movie. That's just me, and that's the one that just feels more special than anything else. Felt so different and yet so relevant at the time, if that makes sense. Just rewatched it last year. Uh, it gorgeous. holds up. It's really, really great. That Criterion Blu-ray just mm, ah, sparkles. <laughs> Uh, a film. I love how you have to get your Blu-ray collection in here. You just got to ram it in there. Why else did I spend <laughs> all that money on Blu-rays if I can't like show them off? True. Or talk about True. them all the time. So, uh, what your answer is Virgin Suicides too? Then, yeah, I think it is. Even though I will say that um, Lost in Translation is one of mm. those formative movie experiences for teenage me. I gotcha. Like that movie swept me off my sure. feet when I was a kid. I, I have a soft spot for it. I don't know if it holds up. I haven't seen it in a while, but I loved it so much mm-hmm. as a kid. I love I love it too. And I also love the like my mom's reaction to it, which is like, I don't what in the world happened at the end? That you know, was that's... my mom's reaction to you. <laughs> I think there was a nation of moms outraged. I just by the I end need of to talk movie. to you about this lost in translation movie. What in the world? There was no point what? to it. I couldn't hear what she was saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh my mom. I'm not I'm really not making fun of my mom. She's wonderful. Um so the next question is a movie of Sofia Coppola's that you might not like as much as other people do. Is there one? Um yeah, oh yeah. Ooh, oh uh-oh. oh yes. Oh oh well, I, I should I shouldn't have The Bling Ring is I just find it to be unwatchable. What? Yes, you heard me. Uh-oh. Sam, make note. We got a four. I don't even feel like enormously strongly about the bling ring, but unwatchable? Mm. Unwatchable. It's bad news bears. No, it is not. Oh, yes, it is. No way. We'll mark that one up. There's Mm. not even any reason to fight about it now because we're going to fight about it later. Yeah, clearly. I rewatched the bling ring of all things. I thought thought that one. I'm changing that name to the shit ring. No, 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 no. I reject this. (laughs) I thought you would have enjoyed that one. um, Did not. For some reason. Um... The one movie of hers that I don't think really works is Somewhere um, with Stephen Dorff and uh, Elle Fanning. There's still well, I mean, m- you just said Stephen Dorff. Well, I mean, I don't think he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's only that... good in Britney Spears videos. Come I don't on. Think, well, I, I don't think that he's strong enough to be the center of that movie. That yeah. movie needs a stronger performer. At he's it. not the strong enough to be the center of any movie. Well, and, you know, that movie in particular is very sort of like mumbly, wandry, Antonioni-style, mm-hmm. you know, Hollywood ennui, and it just kind of rambles. And to me, it feels a little like self-parody. Like, that's what people who didn't like her first movies, yeah. you know, say sure. is true of her style. So that one doesn't work for me, even though I know a ton of people love it. So I've been intending to revisit it one day. Yeah. Uh, a movie of hers, speaking of which, that you feel like you may need to revisit. I mean, I think all of her films are probably worth revisiting, yeah. minus the bling ring. Mm. But I have a confession. Okay. And that is that I have not really seen Mar- Marie Antoinette. It's good. It was a bit of a disappointment at the time for yeah. me coming off of Lost in Translation. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing that again with uh, some distance to reevaluate Yeah. It. I missed it when it hit the theaters. Um, I think it probably did that week run here or two, maybe two week, but it just, it, I missed it. And when I missed it in the theaters, it was just gone for me. Mm. And that happens sometimes. So I would, uh, at the same time, I've seen scenes. I, I feel like it's worth my time to yeah, see it. Yeah, it totally is. It totally is. Um, yeah, I, I that would be my answer too, I guess. Although I will say I want to rewatch The Beguiled mm-hmm. at some point Beguiled because is- it's, 
really good. entertaining. It's really good. I mean, I think you, we talked about this and I was like, eh, I'm a little okay with it. It's it's a good film, but I'm just okay with it. And you really, really love it. I do. I do. We I don't really, disagree on it. I really do like it a lot. Um, for me, that was a bit of a return to form for her yeah. after, um, you know, I like the bling ring, but the, the Beguiled, I think, was stronger ultimately. Of course, you it's also know. It's definitely what I want because you know what I'm about to say. Uh, Nicole Kidman. Being... You didn't start that sentence right. Your wife. Oh, your wife, Nicole. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <sighs> I should, you know, really show her the due respect that she deserves. My um, wife, Nicole Kidman, is in the film. Okay. Good filmmaker. She's got a movie coming out later this year, apparently, that reteams her with Bill Murray. So uh, I'm into that. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll be looking forward to seeing that at some point before the end of the year. And we'll watch anything she makes. It's a good filmmaker. And I'm excited for what's next. Well, thank you so much for listening to Side Talks. We are your own personal Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Okay, I like that. Yeah. But which which one is? Which? I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll t- I, both of those are a compliment. Yeah. So. So you're you're reluctant to assign <laughs> either to me because they're both kinda. too complimentary. I'll take Amy Poehler. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I'm more of a Tina Fey, I guess. I think so. Well, you've got the glasses on right now too. I've got, so I've got glasses. But thank you so much to Beltwell Studios for having us, hosting us, uh, re- recording us, making us sound good, doing all the things and that they do. And you should um, definitely, if you're thinking about recording a podcast, you should look them up, come to hear, do all that stuff. And thanks to Splash ninety six for the theme song. Uh, that we really, really love at the beginning of the show. Check us out on social media, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Sidewalk Film, where we're also listing um, you know, movie times at our cinema. We have a cinema, by the way, uh, and announcing special events and things of that nature. So come see a movie with us. We're not that annoying in person, I promise. Uh-huh. Well, I don't. Bye! Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.